Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. And let's pray. Father, uh, we give you thanks for this day to just come to worship you, to be in community with one another. And we ask that you would just bless our time together as we study your word. Uh, allow us to grow closer to you, open up our hearts and our minds and our ears uh, that we might follow you more closely today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we started a new series called Followers and Leaders. And this particular series is based on a part of the Bible that might not be all that familiar to some of us, uh, even those of us who grew up in church and uh, know scriptures pretty well, and that's because we're looking at the book of Judges. And oftentimes, Judges can be kind of flyover territory in the Old Testament, that, that maybe you read Genesis, Exodus, probably fall off when you get to Leviticus, maybe pick it back up somewhere in Joshua, but Judges, man, that's a weird book, right? So we sometimes just kind of skip through those parts. But we're calling this Followers and Leaders because really, uh, the book of Judges is a book about leadership, or sometimes lack thereof. And so as we look through the Bible and we look through both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see a lot of different examples and a lot of different stories about leadership. And we think of good leaders, right? The best leader, of course, being Jesus. Uh, he's the one that we hold up as first. Uh, but we think of other leaders, people like uh, King David. We think of the Apostle Paul and Moses and Deborah, who we're going to talk about in just a couple of minutes. But we also think about bad leaders, now, people like King Herod from the Gospels, uh, people like Ahab and Manasseh, and people that did not use their leadership positions and their authority well. And, and the truth is, is that each and every one of us has had experiences both with good leaders and with bad leaders at some point in our lives, right? So at church, at home, at work, wherever it might be, we've had people uh, that have invested in us. We've had people that have helped bring our gifts and our skills to life. Um, we've had people that have organized and nurtured teams well and really kind of helped us flourish as individuals. Um, those are good leaders. But we've also had people who have led poorly, uh, people maybe who were disorganized, who didn't have a plan, didn't have a vision, uh, people that, that when we needed help just kind of let us flounder and didn't really equip us with the skills that we needed to, to thrive um, and people who, for whatever reason, just couldn't seem to get the right people in the right places at the right time, right, to help move the vision forward. And so we think of them as poor leaders. But when we look at the book of Judges, what we actually see uh, is that there is kind of a, a third kind of leadership, uh, a third category, and that is a lack of leadership. So when there's no leadership at all, not good, not bad, just none, there's kind of a vacuum around leadership. And what we see in Judges is what happens to a society when they lack leadership, when they lack kind of a central person or even a group of people uh, to lead and to organize and to help set the course for the future. Because what happens uh, in the book of Judges is that it comes right after the book of Joshua. And, and Joshua is about a guy named, conveniently, Joshua. And at the end of the book of Joshua, uh, he dies. So Joshua dies. And to that point, you know, Joshua had been Israel's real central figure. He had been the leader. So he had been um, the military commander. He had a special connection with God. Uh, he had a special connection and a special um, kind of command from Moses to lead the people. And so he was very much the figurehead. But when he dies, there's no one that's been appointed to take his place. And so first, you know, Israel had Moses. He led them out of slavery, 
and he led them through the wilderness, and he was taking them to the promised land, and when he died, he passed the torch on to Joshua, and Joshua led them the rest of the way and started the conquest of the promised land. But when Joshua dies, there's no one, and they always had this primary figure to look to, right? Somebody who taught them how to live, somebody who told them what to do, and somebody, and this is important, um, who told them which direction they were going, right? Who would tell them what was coming next. And all of a sudden, there's no one in that space. Now, before Joshua dies, he realizes this, and he kind of tries to address this situation in a little bit of a different way. Rather than assign one person, he has a little bit of a different vision, and what he says is, is he brings all of the people together. This is in uh, Joshua, I think it's chapter 24, um, very end of the book. He brings all of these people together in Israel, and he gives them this command, and he says, stay faithful to God, keep him at the center of everything that you do, and follow his law, and everything will work out fine. That, that if, if you follow the law and you keep God at the center, God will protect you, God will care for you, he'll guard you from your enemies, and to be honest, you don't need someone like me. Uh, you don't need somebody like Moses to be this figurehead, to be this person at the front, because you've got God. And if you just stay focused on him, then everything's going to work out. But what happens is without a central figure, Israel is kind of lost. And so Judges f falls in this kind of weird place in history where they had Moses, they had Joshua, and then there's this like 300-year gap, and then they start the monarchy, right? So we get King David and the other kings that, that maybe we're familiar with from Scripture. But there's this 300-year period where there is no central leader. And so there's just this power vacuum that exists where there's not one person that they can, can look to. And as you read the early chapters of the book of Judges, what happens is, is that you see that not very much time goes by and Israel already starts to fall off. That they already start to forget this promise that they made to Joshua. Because Joshua gives them this command and everybody's like, we got it. We are so excited for the future. We are going to stay faithful to God, and nothing's going to stand in our way, and it's going to be awesome. And then by Judges chapter 2, they've already screwed it up. It says, then the Isra chapter 2 and verse 11, Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And there's this phrase that's repeated a few times throughout the book. It says that people did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. And so this group of people that was supposed to stay focused on God and supposed to live under the law fall into all kinds of evil. And you see society just kind of start to fall apart. And so they become murderers and idolaters. They become a, an immoral people. I mean, these are the kind of people who root for the Yankees. Um, these are the kind of people that, that dip their pizza into ranch dressing. Like, or they, they listen to Nickelback. I mean, these are the worst of the worst when it comes to people. But all they had to do was keep God at the top, keep God at the center of everything, and everything would be fine, but they couldn't do it. And you and I can relate to that, right? That's not so different from us. Like, if it was possible to keep God at the center of our lives just simply by sheer force of will, most of us probably wouldn't be here this morning. And what we find is that it's, it's anywhere from difficult to darn near impossible to just keep God at the center of our lives on our own. And so what happens to the nation of Israel is that they become disorganized, and they start fighting so many wars, and they start falling apart on the inside. 
And if you remember, you know, back in Genesis, God called Israel to be a blessing. He said, you're going to bless the whole world. And at this point in their history, they can't even bless themselves, right? Much less the entire world. And so what happens in Judges is we, we see a pattern start to emerge. And Pastor Ken talked about it a little bit last week, where what happens is the people fall away and they fall into evil and they're punished. And usually that punishment comes in the form of one of their enemies coming in and taking their territory and ruling over them. And then they cry out to God, and they say, God, we messed up, we're so sorry, please come and save us and rescue us. And God hears their cry, and so he raises up a leader called a judge. That's why it's called the book of Judges. And this leader delivers the people. They do what they need to do to to take them out under the hand of oppression, and they have peace for a time. And as long as that judge is alive, Israel does pretty well. But as soon as that judge dies, they fall right back into the same situation they were in before. And so you get this pattern that repeats over and over and over again. You get a new fall, a new punishment, a new cry, a new judge, a new deliverance, and on and on and on it goes. And so that's kind of the the theme or the context for what we're looking at today. Um, So we're going to look at Judges chapter 4, which is a a story about three different figures, three different leaders, Deborah, Barak, and Jael. And part of the aim of this series is to demonstrate to us that there are different kinds of leaders and different kinds of followers. That it's possible as people to, to follow in certain areas of life, but lead in others. Or that it's sometimes what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to follow for a time so that we can lead in the future. Or that for all of us as people of faith, we are supposed to follow God every day, right, so that we can be leaders out there in the world. But a lot of times when we think of a leader, we think of a CEO, or we think of the board chairman, we think of somebody who's the boss, right, somebody who's out in front and leading the charge. But what the Bible shows us and what this story shows us is that leaders uh, can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and styles, and that God can use each and every one. Last week, um, Donna did a, a great job. Who was here last week and, and got to hear Donna speak? Donna Taylor got up and, and talked kind of in the context of the story of Gideon. And she gave a personal testimony, and she talked about mental health. And now Donna is not an out-front kind of person. Like, she, she's not the kind of person with, like, a big, bombastic kind of personality that you would associate maybe with a strong leader. But last week, she did an awesome job of leading us, right, into a conversation about mental health. And every single week when she's out there in the parking lot, she does an awesome job of leading our hospitality team along with Larry to help our our parking situation, right, and welcome people and show them where they're supposed to go. And so she might not be what we think of as a traditional leader, but she is a leader in this church. And so part of what this series is supposed to do is to help us identify where in life we're leaders and where in life we're followers and how God can use us in both of those spaces. And so this morning to kind of um, pull that out a bit, we're going to look at Judges chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Judges 4. If not, the the verses will be on the screen. And we're just going to kind of talk through this story. Now I give you a warning, right? Judges is sometimes flyover territory for a reason. That it gets a little complicated, it gets a little specific, it talks about things that maybe we're not familiar with in terms of geography or towns or names or whatever. So we're not going to get lost in the weeds here, 
but we're going to just kind of walk through and explain what is going on, and this is actually a really, really awesome story. The whole book of Judges. I love Judges. That makes me really weird, um, <laughs> but I love the book of Judges. It's got great stuff if you can kind of sort through um, some of the harder parts. So here's how it begins. It says this, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. So Ehud was a judge, and he had delivered them out of, um, out of uh, uh, oppression, and all of a sudden, then he dies, and the people start that pattern again, right? So here we go. The Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, and Sisera, the commander of his army. And so um, here's Israel falling away and doing evil, right? And here comes judgment, just like I described. And so the Canaanites come in, and they take their land, and they start oppressing. And we get an introduction to this man named Sisera. And Sisera was like the right-hand man of the king. He was the general. And as we see in the next verse, what, what he was doing was he actually had been oppressing the Israelites for 20 years. So he was a very, very strong uh, leader. Of, sorry, I keep going back to that one. Um, a very, very strong leader, a very, very strong general, and there was nothing that they could do to really uh, overcome his military. And what it says is that he had 900 chariots fitted with iron. And that's not just a throwaway detail. That's actually something that's important. Because Israel at this time was disorganized, they were not well equipped, they didn't have a strong army, and they def definitely didn't have the latest technology. But the Canaanites, they were the technological power in the region. And so they had iron, they had metal, and so they wore armor, and they had chariots, which were basically the, the tanks of the day. And so that made them extremely, extremely formidable and extremely powerful in battle. And so the picture that we're getting is that you have Sisera, who's a great general uh, with a really well-equipped army, and you've got Israel, who's not so well-equipped, and as these two come together, what you would think, right, is that Israel is just going to get wiped off the map because they don't have the same military. But then we're introduced to this woman named Deborah. It says, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. And I want to pause here for a second to talk about Deborah's role because it says that she's, first of all, a prophet, which is a big deal, but she was also leading Israel at the time which makes her really unique across the entire Bible, that she is the, the only woman to hold this particular place. Uh, that she was uh, not only a prophet, but she was also the judge in Israel. One of the things um, that, that they would do, is, as you see in the next verse, is that she would kind of uh, sit under a, a palm tree called the Palm of Deborah, convenient, um, I think they named it afterwards, um, and just kind of do her business out in the open. So anybody could see her judgments. There wasn't anything that was closed off, anything that was in secret. And one of the things that a judge would do was they would basically function as like a small claims court. So there would be disagreements in the community, and they would come, and they would say, you have to decide who's right, who's wrong in this particular case. And so Deborah would do that out in the open. But one of the other roles is to be a national leader, and this is a huge deal because in this day and age especially, like just women were not those things. Um, they often weren't prophets and they definitely weren't judges. But here is Deborah standing as this extremely strong, extremely powerful woman. 
And so what she does is she has this vision from God that, she, that, that they're going to be delivered from oppression, that God wants to free them from oppression as the Israelites cry out. And so what she does is she sends for this guy named Barak. Um, and Barak was the military commander. And so he had about 10,000 troops and people under his command, and she said, it's time. It's time for us to take on the Canaanites and take them to task, and we are going to be delivered, even at their disadvantage, even though traditional military strategy would say they would get just destroyed, she says it's time. And so this is what Barak does. Barak says to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I'm staying here. And I think this is, once again, just a testimony to the power that Deborah had and the respect that she had. That, that here's this military commander, somebody who knows the tactics, somebody who, who knows the troops, and he says, if we go out there on the battlefield, we're going to get wiped out. And so what we need is God. And Deborah, you've got a strong connection to God, so you're coming with us. And so Deborah decides to go with him, and so she goes with him into battle. So here's what happens. They ride, off, they ride into battle, Barak brings his troops and his army, and Sisera brings his troops and his army, and they fight. And the Lord throws, their entire, uh, throws the entire enemy uh, army into disarray. And during that time, Barak and his army are able to take advantage, and they actually gain victory. And so they kill all of the uh, Canaanite soldiers, and they pursue them all the way back to home base. And they defeat this army, which is a huge, huge victory for Israel. But what happens to Sisera is that as he's running away, it says this, he fled on foot to the tent of Jael. First of all, I want to point out just this little detail that he fled on foot. This is somebody who just rode into battle with like 900 chariots and thousands of horses, and now he's running away on foot. Like, that's a bad day, right? Something bad happened if you rode into battle with 2,000 horses, and now you're running on foot. But he goes to this place, and he goes to a tent, and he finds this woman who he thinks is going to be an ally, and her name is Jael. And so she invites him into her tent, and she says, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't, don't be afraid. And Jael um, gives him some, he asks for water. She gives him some milk. And he says, um, you know, if anybody comes to the tent and asks you if I'm here, say no, because he knows he's being pursued. And if they find him, they'll kill him. And he falls asleep. And here's what Jael does next. It says she picks up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him. And while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, she drove the peg through his temple all the way to the ground, and he died. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> now, when, when we think of, of like a tent peg, we think of maybe the little like prongs that we get, you know, that we stick in the ground now, or maybe even those plastic orange stakes, you know. But a tent peg in that day and age was like a railroad tie. I mean, this is a big, heavy-duty thing, and she just, boom, right through the side of his head. So then Barak comes, because he's pursuing Sisera, and he knows that he's kind of fled in this direction, and she says, come on, like, I'll show you, and he, and he sees him there on the ground, and then it gives us the, this final detail. It says, on that day, God 
subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. And so the army is routed. Sisera is dead. God subdues Israel's enemies. They gain victory, and they are finally delivered again from this oppression. And it all happens through these three figures, Jael, Barak, and Deborah. Now, it's kind of a long story, and there's a lot of details there, and we skipped over some of it, but hopefully you hung with um, kind of the the narrative there. And so what I want to do in our last few minutes is just pull out uh, a couple things. And the big one is this, that I think that this story shows us that when God has important work to do, it is almost never done alone. Right? Because in this story, you'll notice that it wasn't one leader, it wasn't one person that God raised up to do this work. He raised up multiple leaders. He raised up Deborah and Barak and Jael, and they all have an important piece of this story. I think when God wants to accomplish something in us and through us, oftentimes it's done in community. It's done alongside other people, each with a different part to play. And so when I look at this story, I see three different kinds of leaders. I see a visionary, I see an influencer, and I see an actor. Right? So uh, so I think whenever we take up a task, whenever God asks us to do something, we need these three people. We need a visionary, somebody like Deborah, somebody who can look at at current circumstances, somebody who can look at current needs, listen to the voice of God, and see a potential future. Somebody that can imagine what God can and what God wants to do, right? This is a person who understands and can communicate the what, right? What are we trying to do? And who can communicate the why. Why is this important? Why are we trying to do this? And Deborah does this. She looks at Israel's oppression. She recognizes what God can do and that God can do something about it. And she shows Israel what can be done, this potential future that lies out there free from oppression from the Canaanites. But we don't just need Deborah, we need influencers. We need people like Barak. Right, so Barak had an army. He had command and control over the people that could actually carry out and the resources that could actually accomplish what Deborah wanted to do. And so Deborah had the vision, but Barak was the one who could make it happen. And in anything that we do, we need people with influence. We need people with pool. We need people with resources to get things done. This is the person that understands the how. Right? So the visionary understands the what and the why, but the influencer asks the question, how? How are we going to accomplish this? And then lastly and finally, we need the actors. And I don't mean actors in terms of like a stage player or a movie, but an actor in terms of action. We need doers. People that are ready to step up at a moment's notice when they see something that just simply needs to be done and do it. And that is the role of Jael. Right, Jael saw an opportunity to finish off her enemy once and for all, and she did not hesitate, and she jumped into action. So this is the person on the ground who doesn't have a problem executing the plan when they see a need before them. And all three of these people were leaders inside of this story. We primarily think of Judges 4 as being about Deborah, And she's the visionary that kicks the whole thing off, and she sees that potential future, but none of the characters in the story were passive. None of them just let the story happen to them. They all brought different pieces to the puzzle, right, that they put together, and they achieved what God wanted to achieve. 
And so I think about this story, and I think about our ministry here at Spry, and I think about the journey that we've been on. And I've only been a part of it for 18 months. Some of you have been here much, much longer. But if you go back seven or eight years, this church, as unfortunately a lot of churches are, was headed for some major, major struggles. And some of you were were here for that time. And what the church needed at that point was a, a reshaping and a refocus on vision to determine or to remember, you know, who is it that God is calling this church to be for York, for Spry, for Dallastown, for the world. And what God did during that time was he revitalized the vision through leaders. Pastor Ken obviously had a a huge part in that process, but a lot of you who were part of this church in the past also stepped up to renew that calling and help dream about vision to be Deborah, right? To look at current circumstances and current needs and current desires and think, like, what is it that God wants to do here? And so the visionary stepped up. But as this story shows us, it doesn't end there. It can't end there. Because all, if all we do is dream and dream and dream and cast vision and never do anything, we become frustrated idealists, right? That knows how things should be, but we never actually get there. And so what we need are the influencers. And God has used people in our midst with influence in the community, influence over friends, influence over resources to bring people, uh, to restore the reputation of the church, to, to bring gifts and skills, uh, to bring resources, financial resources to help the ministry happen. And lastly, and I think that this is a particular strength of this church, is we needed actors, people like Jael, doers, that when something needed to be done, you'd do it. And so when I think about spry, I think about the parking lot team. I think about the ushers and the hospitality team, right? I think about the people who set up the chairs in this room every week, which is not a glamorous job, but people do it. The people who run the yard sale, who volunteer for outreach in the community, who do coffee hour, the people who check kids in and out of children's church, people who run Bible studies and teach kids and teach youth. And I look at all of these different players, and for me it is clear that in this church, God is doing something special. And he's chosen not to do that through one particular person, but he's chosen to do it through a team, right? A group of people that has been specifically and specially collected for ministry in this point in time. And that is still being collected as new people step up, as new people lead, and as new people enter the church. And I say this not just as a, good, as a way to say, like, yay, good job, Spry, you guys are great. But I, because I still believe that there is far more that is yet to be done. That there are far bigger and far greater things that God wants to do through this church for his glory and for the sake of our neighbors. And so I would ask you this. Who are you in this story? Are you a visionary? Are you an influencer? Are you an actor? And where is a place that you can lead? Where, is it, where do you have a gift that you can bring to the table that would help be a catalyst for change, for greater influence, and to accomplish what it is that God has asked us to accomplish? In the book of Romans, um, Paul is about to end his letter and he lists the names of 25 people. And these 25 people were his team in the church in Rome. They were the influencers, they were the actors, they were the visionaries that helped him establish that church that became a blessing, not to hundreds, not to thousands, but to millions and millions and millions of people and helped change the the nature of the Roman Empire itself. By the way, if anybody's looking for baby names, (laughs) 
I always thought it would be pretty awesome if you had twins to name them Trephina and Trephosa. <laughs> Sounds pretty cool. But we think of the Apostle Paul as the leader of the New Testament church. But what we see is that even for Paul, he needed a team. He needed a group. He needed others to bring their gifts to the table. In Judges 5, after Deborah gains this victory, she has this song that she sings, and at the beginning she says this, When the princes of Israel lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. In other words, when the leaders lead, and people offer themselves willingly to the task of leadership, that's when God does his best work. And so to close out, it brings me to this final question. It's true for Israel, it's true for the church, it's true for you. And God does his most important work in community. And so I ask, what's something that God wants to do in your life that you've been trying to do alone? What's something you've been fighting with or wrestling with or struggling with that you have been trying to do alone but that God can only do with a team? Maybe it's something you're trying to get off the ground but you just can't seem to do it. Maybe there's a new step of faith that you want to take and you've been trying for a long time to do it alone but you can't. Maybe it's a relationship that you're trying to heal and repair and you guys have been working on it over and over and over again for a long period of time but you just can't seem to do it by yourselves. Maybe it's a habit you're trying to break, but you keep falling into the same trap over and over and over again. And no matter how much strength and will you put into it, you cannot break the cycle. I had a friend um, who was struggling with addiction. He had a sexual addiction. And he, it was taking a toll on him and his wife and his family, and he needed to fix it. And he tried over and over and over again for years and years by just sheer force of will on his own to break the addiction, and he always fell again. And eventually he reached out to a friend, and he said, I need you to be a part of this. He said, I need you to pray for me. I need you to be a, keep me accountable. I need you to be somebody that I can call when I feel tempted so that I can get out, and I need you to, to check my internet history. And when he did that, he made more progress in three weeks alongside someone than he had made in three years by himself. God does his most important work in community. He gives us the gifts we need to do our part, but he gives others the gifts that they need to do their part as well. And so I think some of you just need to let somebody else in. Let them lead you closer to where God wants you to be. And so to close out, we are one body with one Lord and with one spirit, but each with a different part to play. We can't do it alone, and we were actually never meant to. And so our call today is to not go it alone, but to lead and to be led together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for this place, for this church, for the leaders that you've called here, for the ways that you're continuing to shape us. We ask that you give us your spirit, that you would give us strength, all of us that are seeking a new way to step out into leadership, and that you would just give us the, the, the passion and the strength to take that step. And finally, Lord, we also ask that for those of us that are maybe struggling quietly, struggling desperately on our own, to try to fix something, uh, to try to make something new happen, and we just can't do it, give us the courage to reach out and allow somebody else to help lead us into this brighter future. God, we give you thanks, we give you praise, and we give you it all in Jesus' name who taught us that when we pray, we should pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for